Sweet Dreams. Birch makes organic, non-toxic mattresses made in America and ships straight to your door with no contact delivery, free shipping and returns, and a 100-night sleep trial. Birch is giving $200 off all mattresses and two free EcoRest pillows at birchliving.com AMR. Ready, set, go. Rothy's comfortable, washable, and sustainable shoes and bags make getting dressed easy. Head to rothys.com AMR to find your new favorites today. This summer, make life simpler and tastier by subscribing to HelloFresh. Go to HelloFresh.com slash AMR14 and use code AMR14 for up to 14 free meals plus free shipping. Welcome to another Mother Runner. This is Sarah Bowen Shea. I'm joined today by Ellison Wiest. Hello, Ellison. Hello, Sarah. Oh my gosh. So the, you know, the apocalypse is upon us because it is warmer in Portland, Oregon than it is there in South Carolina where you now live. Yes. I was just horrified when I looked, uh, you know, I keep it on the weather app. I keep Mm -hmm. Portland on there and I kept, you know, shifting it thinking there was a mistake. (laughs) You're like, no iPhone. This is South Carolina. This can't be Oregon. Yeah. (laughs) Against my thigh. No. (laughs) Gosh. <laughs> yeah, it's it's rough. It's going to be probably um, triple digits over the weekend here, oh which my is word. nearly unheard of. Yeah, yeah. Especially so. in June. Oh, I know. Yeah, I, know. I mean, I remember it sometimes in July or August, but never in June. Oh, yeah. In June, it could still be rainy and chilly here. Exactly. You know, like that <laughs> gal that I used to work with who moved from Atlanta. And one time she said in about this time of year, she said, Ellison, when does it start getting warm here? And I said, July 5th. And she <laughs> yeah. said, no, really? When does it start getting warm? And I said, July 5th. <laughs> <laughs> it is true. That used to be the old adage that the day yeah. after the 4th of July was when summer <laughs> finally hit here. And yeah, no, I mean, um, Jack and I got married on July 2nd. And I remember on July 3rd, it poured buckets, but not for long. But it, I was just like, wow, okay, well, we dodged that bullet. But yes. Yeah. Oh my goodness. So life in South Carolina, you joined a running club. I did. I did. I, I joined the Aiken running club or the ARC as they call it. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, a huge group of just over a hundred people, but only about probably 20 or 25 are active. Mm-hmm. So it's really, uh, jumpstarted my running. And, uh, yesterday I did my first speed work out in probably over three or four years. Um, and I did a hill workout the Tuesday before felt good, you know, respected it. Didn't, mm-hmm. you know, what, they, what was the speed workout entail? It, it was supposed to be six, eight hundreds mm-hmm. for this 64 year old. It was <laughs> a mile warm up, And then I did uh, two four hundreds and four two hundreds. So I said, Hey, heck, that worked up to be sixteen hundreds. Oh, it is good. wow. I am so reminded of remember when um, I ran into you at the track when I was, I think, doing maybe mile repeats yes. with Lynn Jennings in t- yes. 2009. You and Monica hilarious. showed up there. Yeah, yeah, I was thinking about that. Yeah, <laughs> oh my gosh, and you all just dusted me like <laughs> it wouldn't be the case now if it's any consolation <laughs> but i i hate 
speed workouts. I mean, oh. I'll do the hill workouts till the cows come home or you know, come mm. down or whatever, but I, I do not like speed workouts. Oh, do you just not like track or any, I mean, do you not also like tempo and that type of stuff? I'd rather do tempo any day than speed. Okay. Um, so, so, so the inner track inter- type intervals is not your cup of tea. Yeah. Yeah, but you know, they help as we both know. So they, they sure do. Yeah. 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 And, and were, were you with members of your club? Yes. Yes. Mm-hmm. They, uh, there's sort of an offshoot that, uh, at 6am every Tuesday, they go back and forth between doing a track speed workout or a, a hill workout on a hill that's just under half a mile. Um, wow. not, not as bad as it sounds because, I think compared to what I was used to in Portland, it's still, it's a long gradual until about the last 10th of a mile. And then it takes a, a steep turn. Then it kicks you in the teeth. Uh Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Well, that's awesome. I mean, getting up there, I mean, you know, that's, that takes some uh, diligence to get there by 6am when you don't have, you know, a a computer screen or a job waiting for you, a a boss waiting for you. So Yeah. Yeah. Wow. And then Carol, your adult daughter, she joined the club as well. Yes, she did. Now she's, you know, she's still nursing her youngest. Mm -hmm. So it seems like evening, they do have some evening workouts, which she doesn't really prefer, but at this time it's a, it's the best she can do. So she's been going out about twice a week at six in the evening and running with us. Do you okay. go as well then, or do you? No, I'm uh, I'm Nana during that time. Yes. So I'm with the baby. Uh huh. Uh huh. And cooking dinner or no? Oh come on! You know that I'm spoiled rotten. You know, so so Carl still is. Carl is still. He loves it. Yeah. You know, he just he finds cooking soothing and relaxing. Oh, we love Carl. I know we all do. (laughs) I'll tell you, women just look at me and drool. (laughs) Seriously. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Wow. I just think that's awesome. So, um, and it's a mix of men and women in the club. Yes. It's kind of odd there, at least in this part or in this city, there's a lot of young, like 20 and 30 something women, most of whom do not have children. And then you sort of take this leap and there are a lot of folks in their fifties. And I think it's because, you know, okay. You know, the, the Mm non-children factor, that's what I really think it is. Yeah. Right. Oh, so you can't, you can't spread the good word of, of another mother runner to I'm wearing all my, you know, stuff and, uh, I have my Bammer hat. Uh, you know, I have a couple of you know the shorts. So whenever <laughs> people ask, I'm I'm singing your praises. Oh, good, good. You are representing. Well done. Oh, I am. Well yes. done, E. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness. Well, as people may have guessed, um, and they're probably so excited, uh, you are on today because this is our summer reading episode. That's exactly right. Yeah. And um, we're doing it earlier in the season so folks can line up their books for the summer. And um, but before we jump into that, I want to talk to you a little bit about something that came up kind of organically talking to my new neighbor. And, and then, oh, is that Babylon. Yes. yes. Hello, Babylon. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, so talking to my new neighbor and then in a completely separate conversation with my friend, Kate, who is visiting us from San Francisco. 
And they both said that they were, um, during the pandemic, they had real trouble reading. And I don't mean that they couldn't form, you know, figure out what words were being spelled by the letters, but they just couldn't, um, Kate, the new neighbor, it's confusing. They're both Kate's one's a C one's a K. Um, the new neighbor said that she was just so anxious and just really riled up by world events that she couldn't, um, she was just too amped up to read. And then kind of similarly, my friend Kate from San Francisco, she just said that she couldn't um, just allow herself to relax into a book. Oh, yeah. And um, I mean, and Kate, my San Francisco buddy, she's divorced, she's child free. So she was solo during the pandemic. And she doesn't have I don't think she has any streaming services. And she also said she was um, not super into doing her art. Um, And so, and she's a rower. So, and the team wasn't practicing together for part of it. So I was like, wow, man, like that's. What was she doing? I mean, I know she said, I I asked her that several times and she was like, I took a lot of walks. Um, but, but Ellison, how do you feel about that? I mean, about, um, you know, as we come out of the pandemic, I mean, were you able to read during that? I mean, what sort of, do you need some certain circumstances or mindset that allows you to read? No, I did not have the issue of not being able to read, although it's interesting because I did have the issue of being horrified by a lot of what was going on, Mm -hmm. but fortunately for me, uh, it kind of combined because I began reading more nonfiction about, Mm. um, especially I tried to read more uh, books by people of color, Mm -hmm. uh, fiction and nonfiction, Mm -hmm. because I think I was made more aware of, you know, uh, just not understanding a lot of things, you know, thinking of myself as uh, to use the proverbial word woke, Mm -hmm. and yet realizing that actually i I needed, I needed more work in that, in that area. So Mm -hmm. for me, it was actually uh, sort of a blessing in disguise because, well, until we moved, you know, here into a third generation, you know, three Mm -hmm. generation household, Mm -hmm. um, it really kind of gave me not only the impetus, but the time. Mm -hmm. Uh, So, you know, as you and I've discussed, I've gone through times when I just can't settle on a book. Yes, and that, but that has not happened in a long time. Um, mm. So, what about you? Did you have any of those issues? I mean, I have friends who said I watched more TV than I usually do. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, you know, as we've talked about it, and as you allude to, I, I definitely go through phases where I just, just not motivated to read. It's not that I um, can't get into it. I just, just I. It's more I see it as I can't find a book that grabs me. Yes. And, and then kind of once I find a book that grabs me, then I'm reminded how much I love to read. And so then, you know, um, it's like picking up a sport that you'd forgotten about. It's like, oh my gosh, I love tennis. I'm going to play yes. more tennis. Yes. Um, and so, no, but during the pandemic, I mean, you know, Oregon is just, we're, we're still pretty locked down here. Yeah. And um, so, and having teenage kids, it's not like I was um, having to be hands-on with them or, you know, we didn't, I, I had a lot of free time to be quite honest. And, <clears throat> excuse me. And so I, I really read for escape during the pandemic. Mm-hmm. 
and that I, in somewhat the same way I watch television, you know, I would watch a lot of things like set in other countries, you know, I'm like, oh, okay, I'll go to Scotland or I'll, you know, go mm-hmm. to Japan or something on via the, you know, something on Netflix or Acorn TV or something. And so with books, I just thought, okay, I can, I can leave this world behind and go into another one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Yeah, I think that's interesting that you probably, you know, aren't going to find uh, a real reader that everybody says the same thing. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. Yeah, just, I just, it really struck me that two different women said that and for pretty much the same reason that they just weren't able to um, kind of luxuriate into the joy that is reading. Oh, that's um, so sad. Mm-hmm, <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And then I, it was interesting during the pandemic, I, um, you know, my kids were suffering from anxiety and um, different stresses, like so many young people were and are. And I said, just read a book, you can escape, you can leave this world, you know, <laughs> like, if you're not happy with this one, go into another one. Right. And oh, it was, it was fight. Finally, Daphne got into a couple books within the past few months. But um, yeah, yeah. So um, well, so hopefully I'm hoping that some of these books will transport people and take them to worlds. And, and as you found, open their minds, uh, give them an understanding of, of others, um, really enlighten them somewhat because, you know, that's, I think what some of the best books do. Yes. Yeah. So Ellison, yeah. you and I, you and I will talk books, books, and more books after this break. Stay with us. I know the problems and pains a poor mattress can bring on. When I trained for my first ever marathon, I was living with my now husband and sleeping on his janky mattress that he dubbed Taco Bed because it practically folded in the middle. My hips started to hurt so badly the pain would wake me up. I thought it was from overtraining. Nope, a crummy mattress. Thankfully, we left that mattress long behind and we recently upgraded to a birch mattress. My body is thanking me. Birch makes organic, non-toxic mattresses produced right here in America with just three materials sourced straight from nature. Organic latex, New Zealand wool, and American steel springs. Birch mattresses are certified organic. Your Birch mattress is shipped for free straight to your door with no contact delivery. You can buy with confidence because Birch offers a 100-night sleep trial. Give your Birch mattress a try. If it's not to your liking, return it for free. But I know you'll like it. Jack and I appreciate how firm our Birch mattress is without being hard. We feel supported, and my hips and all my other joints plus my back don't hurt when I wake up. We added a Birch Plush Organic Mattress Topper for a little extra cush. So if you're looking for a new mattress, check out birchliving.com AMR. Birch is giving $200 off all mattresses and two free EcoRest pillows at birchliving.com AMR. That's $200 off all mattress orders and two free EcoRest pillows. Get this great deal by going to birchliving.com slash AMR. B-I-R-C-H living.com slash AMR. Us runners have no time or patience for uncomfortable kicks, especially in the summer. That's where Rothy's comes in. Rothy's surveyed thousands of customers and the number one word used to describe their shoes is comfy. Rothy's key to comfy? Their shoe's unique seamless design is so comfortable the moment you put them on. Pop Sugar named Rothy's one of the most comfortable and cute flats you'll never tire of wearing. Want more testimonials? Here's what Rothy's real customers are writing in reviews. Lisa L. says, these shoes are like walking on clouds. And Julie A. says, there's no break-in period, no blisters, just pure comfort. It's no wonder Rothy's best-selling shoe, The Point in Black, has more than 5,000 near-perfect reviews. Me? The comfort of Rothy's won me over from the moment I pulled on my gray camouflage sneakers. And the thing that makes me love them even more, 
Rothy styles are sustainably made with materials like plastic water bottles. I wore mine on a recent cross-country flight, and it was like wearing a pair of slippers on the plane. Yet my feet looked so sassy, two separate women gave me compliments on my shoes at Dulles Airport, asking what brand they are. Rothy's, I told them. Upgrade your closet with washable, sustainable, stylish shoes and bags from Rothy's. Plus, they just launched men's shoes, so make sure to check them out if there's a special guy in your life. Head to rothys.com slash AMR to find your new favorites today. That's R-O-T-H-Y-S dot com slash A-M-R. Rothys dot com slash A-M-R. This spring, I reached my breaking point in the kitchen. I'd cooked so much, I needed a break from deciding what to make, then preparing the meals. An intervention was needed, and it came in the form of HelloFresh weekly deliveries. It's great cooking with HelloFresh, America's number one meal kit, and they're offering you up to 14 free meals, plus free shipping, when you go to HelloFresh.com slash AMR14 and use code AMR14. Each week, HelloFresh offers 27 plus recipes featuring a range of flavors, cuisines, and ingredients, so you'll never get bored. You can try something new every week. Or, like my family, you can reorder favorites when they come back into rotation, like zucchini and tomato flatbreads with lemony ricotta drizzled with honey. Yum! The other night, we had a friend visiting, and I served harissa sweet potato pockets with avocado and cucumber dill salad. It was a combo of ingredients I never would have thought to pair, yet it was incredibly tasty. We couldn't stop raving. Since you probably know I'm a green gal, it shouldn't surprise you that I appreciate that HelloFresh is the first carbon-neutral meal kit, offsetting 100% of carbon emissions. As a result, HelloFresh's carbon footprint is 25% lower than store-bought, grocery-made meals. HelloFresh is currently offering its best-ever offer to our listeners. Go to HelloFresh.com AMR14 and use code AMR14 for up to 14 free meals plus free shipping. Let me repeat that. Get up to 14 free meals plus free shipping by going to HelloFresh.com AMR14 and using code AMR14. All right, Allison, as I told you, we're going to be crazy. We're going to start with nonfiction this time. Usually we said, oh, goodness, you. <laughs> we're nutty. We're nutty. <laughs> All right. Okay. All right. Well, yeah. I'm going to start off then with The Lost Boys of Montauk. And that's mm-hmm. by uh, Amanda Fairbanks. Uh, mm-hmm. I believe her great uncle was Douglas. Oh, um, yeah. A little aside there, but this is her first book. Um, and it essentially deals with the perfect storm uh, story. The oh. story of it was uh, four young men who were on a boat uh, off of Montauk and um, a fishing boat and a really massive storm came up. In fact, sort of known all over the place. It was in 1984. It was really slammed the East coast and their neither their boat nor their bodies were ever found. Oh, And so some people will say, well, you know, the perfect storm by Sebastian younger, you know, that talked about it, the movie, but -hmm. what Fairbanks does, it's a little different is she goes in and really focuses on the people themselves, uh, the men that were on the boat, but then also the families they left behind and how even, you know, over 30, 35 years later, there are still repercussions from this event, uh, not only for the families, but for the town of Montauk, which has undergone a huge change. They laugh that it used to be a fishing village with a or drinking village with a fishing problem or (laughs) whichever way you want to go. And now it's become sort of a playground for the 
for the rich. I was about to say it's yeah, and for folks who don't know, Montauk is on Long Island, yeah, and so, um, yeah, off the coast point. of off the coast of New York, and it's where the um, Long Island is where the Hamptons are. So there is quite a bit of um, wealth and um, excess there. Um, some might say. Yes. Um, yeah. Oh, well, that's interesting. So kind of a look at how this small town has changed and, and the echoes that still reverberate from that. Yes. Um, and then she goes into, uh, you know, some people have sort of criticized and said she's a little bit gossipy about some of the things that were sort of happening and have happened since behind the scenes. But I think I think she actually does a, a fair job of sort of talking about some very um, intricate relationships and um, things that, like, like like I say, have reverberated since mm. then, and we're mm. going during it. So I I found it interesting. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Hmm. All right. And whenever you feel the need, I'm not going to put you up to do it every time, but I do love when you say. If you liked so-and-so, you're going right. to like this book. So if, if the spirit moves you, I know that's sometimes a little easier with fiction than nonfiction, but. No, I would say that if you're into any kind of adventure, you know, any of the Sebastian Younger books, um, any of the, you know, books on mountaineering, anything. Yeah, John Krakauer. Yeah. Right. Any of, I would say that this is probably going to be something oh. you'd enjoy. Oh, nice. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. All right. And I think well, uh, females, I mean, not to be a, a traitor and sound sexist, I know I'm sounding sexist, but I think that uh, sometimes people will say, well, that sounds like a man's book. It is not. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I also think of uh, Laura Hilger's books. Yes. Yes. That's what I'm thinking. Yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 And then the one that I really enjoyed um, and that has helped me a lot was um, 400 Souls. And it's uh, edited by Ibram X. Uh, Condi, who wrote how to be an anti-racist, which I also mm-hmm. enjoyed and Keisha Blaine. Mm-hmm. Um, and what it, it's very interesting is divided. It's essentially the story of a uh, history of African America mm-hmm. from ni- 1619 to 2019. Mm-hmm. But what they do is they have an essay that covers a short essay that covers every five years during that period. Wow. So that's very daunting because it's yes. separated into 10 sections of, you know, 40 years each, but, um, and like any book like this essay, some are stronger than others, but some of them are just fascinating. And at the end of each of the 10 sections, there's a poem that has to do with usually something, I mean, obviously based on African-American history, but also possibly something that that went on during that section or a feeling that is evoked from that section. Mm -hmm. And what I really loved was there were several incidents that were referred to bits of history and I'm a history major, but there were several things that I wasn't aware of. Like Mm. I knew about uh, the Tulsa, Oklahoma massacre. I did not know about one that took place uh, in Louisiana in the early part of the 19th century. Mm. So, um, and an aside, that essay was written by a guy named Clint Smith, mm-hmm. who's uh, a poet, but he's also just put out his first book of nonfiction called How the Word is Passed, oh. which I'm in the middle of now. Highly mm-hmm. recommend that. Mm-hmm. So it was a, it's a great sort of segue to not only learn the you know, most important things, to learn things that, quite frankly, I never learned in history books uh, about this country. And it's also a great way to find out, to find new writers, 
yeah. and uh, new events that perhaps you'd like to dig, dig a little deeper into. Yeah, and also um, they must not be, unless this book is incredibly long, they must not be, the essays must not be super no. long. Yeah, no, that probably range from a, a, a page, you know, three pages to, I think the longest one was maybe five pages. Oh, okay. So, so, so you can kind of, it's a book you keep by your bedside and- Can, um, and that's what I did. I kind of mm-hmm. dipped into it and tried mm-hmm. to read, you know, several an evening and- um, uh, very eye-opening. Yeah. Um, so I'd oh. recommend that one. And that Perfect. one, I'd say, you know, it's, it's for anybody who's a history buff, mm-hmm. I think, and who also appreciates essays that often tie together uh, something that's happened to you personally with the bigger picture. Mm, great. Great. Well, that sounds like a good one. Um, I am listening to a nonfiction book. It is the third poll mystery obsession and death on Mount Everest by Mark Sinat. And so I gave it to Dimity for her birthday because I heard about it on NPR and I was, and Dimity loves nonfiction. And so they just made it sound so good. And gosh, I had really high hopes, pardon the pun for this book because of that rave um, piece on NPR, but it's really pretty slow moving. And as an audiobook, the, the narrator's a dud. I just, oh dear. I don't like yeah. his, um, his affect and, um, he mispronounces a fair number of words. And, um, so yeah, so, but it, it's, so it's slow. Um, I mean, I, I think I'm almost halfway through and they just, I'm looking it up on my app right now. Um, they've just now gotten to the mountain. And I'm like, really? Um, So yeah, let me see. Yeah, I'm I'm 54% of the way through and they've only been on the mountain probably for about 5% of that. Uh, (laughs) So it is the search for the body of Sandy Irvin, who was the climbing companion of George Mallory in the 1924 expedition where they were kind of doing reconnaissance on Everest. I mean, certainly they would have liked to summit, but it seemed more like they were kind of sussing it out for the British Empire. Mm-hmm. And um, they have some intriguing, um, they have a theory, someone has provided them with GPS coordinates of where they think Sandy Irvin's body is. So, you know, I mean, you know, I loved Into Thin Air and and I've read some other climbing and mountaineering books. And I don't know, this one's just not, not doing it for me yet. So how much of it do you think is the narrator? Because I know that can like, <laughs> you know, yeah. Yeah, I just really wish that it got more, they got, they got to the mountain quicker, or they got kind of um, the driving force of this a little bit more. It's just, it's a whole lot of details that just aren't interesting to me. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, so I guess I can't really recommend, I meant to ask Dimity what she thought of the book. Maybe people can um, tweet it dimity on the run uh to see what she's thinking about my birthday present to her <laughs> <laughs> well you've given her license to speak her mind <laughs> right right exactly <laughs> well so. you, you were surprised by the other nonfiction book that i read which is the premonition of yes. latest from michael lewis and it's called uh, a pandemic story Yes. Yes. That I was, you know, I mean, when you originally told me, so we were probably plotting our choices. Gosh, was that 
early May. Maybe. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And, and I was like, really? I think that seems too soon, too soon. <laughs> um, but now things have changed. You know, thankfully things have changed a lot since then, uh, largely due to the vaccination effort. And that um, now I'm like, oh, that might be kind of interesting. So, so is it, was it? It is. And it's interesting because probably over the first half, if not more is what before pandemic, this book starts with uh, George W. Bush's um, oh. going on summer vacation uh, sometime, I think in, I think in the early two thousands Mm. And he read The Great Influenza, the uh-huh. well-known book by John Barry that uh, detailed the, the Great Influenza of 1918 uh-huh. and beyond. And when he read that, he was just kind of horrified in one regard at how the country was not ready for that then, for a pandemic then. And he worried that we were not ready for it now. Mm. So essentially what Michael Lewis does is he talks about Bush trying to get a sort of a pandemic plan in place, which I knew nothing about. Yeah, I'd say and, so. Yeah. yeah. And really the steps and the things that were going on, the personalities. But at the same time, and this is what makes Lewis such a great writer, mm-hmm. um, is he also talks about a woman out in California who uh, becomes a state health official. Mm-hmm. And the sort of things that she ran up against trying to nip things like a tuberculosis outbreak, um, mm. uh, they, some of these, uh, a meningitis outbreak, mm. but, you know, she runs up against stuff uh, in part because, you know, you had a good old boy network, but also because people kowtowed to the CDC mm. and the CDC over in Atlanta uh, was just a lot of times not interested in what a state health official in, you know, uh, California had to say or was concerned about. Mm. So he sort of sets this up to show that, you know, on one hand, there were powers that be in Washington that were working to get a pandemic plan uh, in, you know, in process and, mm-hmm. you know, set in stone. At the same time, you had other, a lot of personalities and a lot of, you know, the left hand not knowing what the right hand is doing mm. or the left hand not caring what the right hand is doing because they wanted to be the final say. Oh, that's worse. And it is. And, but it's fascinating. It's infuriating, but it's also mm. fascinating. Mm. And then, so really, he really sort of takes you up to then when, you know, suddenly these people start hearing things about, you know, something's going on in Wuhan, China. Mm-hmm. And so it's not, if people are really interested in reading about the pandemic, they should pick up uh, Lawrence Wright has a new oh. book, you know, He of the Looming Tower, which I still exactly. say is one of the best nonfiction books I've ever read, but he's got a new book called The Plague Year, which mm-hmm. um, is about uh, the, the pandemic. But oh, wow. this one is, is fascinating. I think if you like any of Michael Lewis's books, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, you're, you're going to gobble this one up. Mm-hmm. Uh, and again, if you enjoyed books like The Looming Tower, mm-hmm. um, uh, any of George Packer's books, mm-hmm. uh, I think you're going to, to really enjoy this one. Oh, yeah. Oh, good, good. And before we move off of nonfiction, I do want to say that I got a notification from our friends at Multnomah Library this morning, letting me know that 
book I've been long waiting for, the audiobook, um, is Brat. Um, oh, yes. Yeah, by Andrew McCarthy. McCarthy yeah. <laughs> it's in. I can I can claim it. I'm going to wait till tomorrow so that I get that extra day because I don't have time today to listen. But it is um, uh, read by Andrew McCarthy. Uh, be still my heart. I could listen to him read, you know, cereal box. I know. <laughs> so um, it doesn't have the photos. Um, my best friend, Chalkley, she got a copy of it while I was, it arrived while I was out there visiting her. And so I got to look at some of the pictures in there and that was quite fun. Oh, come on. You tore a couple out and stuffed them in your suitcase. Didn't you? <laughs> Shh, she might be listening. <laughs> she can just think with a defective coffee. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, so I'm really, really excited for for that listen. Um, because I also um I love it when the author reads their own book. I listened to Andrew Randall's memoir, Too Much Is Not Enough, which was so good. First of all, I love Andrew Rannells. I mean, I just you know, from Book of Mormon and Girls, and I mean he's just fantabulous. And so he, oh, it was, it was stunning. It is not the thing you want to listen to while um, young people are, are in the car, yeah, kids are in the car, um, <laughs> be on headphones for that one. But so I'm really looking forward to hearing Andrew McCarthy read his um, own book. So yes, Good. yes. So, all right, let's move on to fiction. And I know you have right. um, several um, in that category. Yeah. Yeah. And I want to start with the two that are essentially thrillers, mysteries, you know, I think, and I've had kind of a surprise here because the first one I read was The Plot mm. by Jean Hanth Korlitz. And um, this one was getting a lot of buzz before it came out. I think the New York Times listed it as you know, one of the top books to look forward to in May, I believe. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I really had high hopes for it. And the plot sounds, the plot of the plot sounds great <laughs> because it's about uh, a guy who's written a book um, and got a lot of, you know, press when he was young. And then that's the only thing he's been able to read. And now some, you know, 10 years Able later, to write. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And he's mm -hmm. now he's, you know, he's drifted down the teaching ladder. So now he's actually in a low residency MFA program. Mm -hmm. uh, he feels like he's a failure. You know, he's just right on the edge financially. And at this one uh, residency program, he meets this very young um, hotshot. The kid thinks he's hotshot. Um, <laughs> who's sort of a, an obnoxious student. But at, at one point when they're alone, the student says to him, I've got the perfect plot of a book and I know mm -hmm. that it's going to bring me fame and money. And I'm not really even worried about your program. I just took it to, because people said I should take a writing program. Mm -hmm. And so the teacher is sort of intrigued and he begins to sort of question this kid and the kid's very reluctant to tell him about the book, but eventually tells him the entire plot. Mm. And the teacher is just mesmerized. And once the kid leaves, he thinks he's absolutely right. This plot is incredible. Mm -hmm. It will go on. You know, the kid has said it'll be an Oprah book. It'll be a, you know, movie on the big screen, everything. Mm -hmm. So we flash forward about a couple of years later and 
not much has changed for the teacher, but he all of a sudden remembers this kid and looks him up to see, because he thinks, you know, I haven't heard anything about this book. Mm-hmm. And he finds out the kid has died. Oh, so see that coming. Okay. We know what's going on. And I'm not giving too much away, but what happens is he thinks, well, you know, there's nothing out there I've looked. And so he takes the plot and the book and makes it his own. Mm. And everything happens just as the kid expected. Fame, money, Oprah, uh, movie deal. But then, and this is where the, the main crux comes in, he starts receiving messages, text messages that say, you're a thief. Mm. All this. Mm-hmm. And so that's, that's where the gist of the book goes. And you suddenly this, this person is uh, threatening him and it starts off slow and then it kind of builds. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought the, the actual plot really was a good one. I wasn't as fascinated with how she moved it along. Um, mm-hmm. Early on, I figured out what was going on mm-hmm. and that for me, you know, sometimes that will happen and you still go with it. Yeah. And, yeah. But in this case, I just, it's kind of sagged it for me. Uh, mm. So um, I think that a lot of people will enjoy it, particularly, you know, there've been a number of books that have been written about that sort of, you know, I stole, mm-hmm. I stole this or, yeah. Um, Oh, assumed okay. identity. Type yeah. Thing. Yeah. The Maud Dixon book that, uh, mm. who is Maud Dixon that came out a couple of months ago. Mm. So, uh, you know, I'm not saying don't read it. I'm just saying uh, I wasn't as tickled with it as I was with the one I thought I wouldn't be, which oh. is the last thing he told me by oh. Laura Dave. Uh-huh. Um, and just from looking at the description, uh, I just figured this was going to be another one of these you know, women in woman in peril, mm-hmm. uh, you know, crappy man, woman comes out on top <laughs> and I could not put the book down. It wow. is entertainment. Uh, I think for people that like the last flight, which I think I recommended last year, mm-hmm. uh, it's just come out in paperback people that love that book which I found fascinating, uh, are going to like the last thing he told me. And in this case, it's a woman who's been married to this guy for about 18 months and he suddenly disappears. Uh And I mean, everything has been fine, but he leaves, he gets a note to her that says, all it says is protect her. Uh And she knows that this is referring to his 16 year old daughter from his first marriage and this girl's mother tragically died Mm -hmm. and needless to say a 16 year old she's not real thrilled and that's Mm -hmm. putting it mildly with her new stepmother but her stepmother begins to figure out that why her husband disappeared is connected with the stepdaughter and so while people are accusing her husband of all these terrible things and she essentially sort of goes on the run with the stepdaughter and the plot is very, very uh, ingenious. It's, it's Mm. really interesting the way she puts it together. uh, And the ending is, is great as well. So. And do you see this as being made into a movie? I would think so. Um, It's a Reese book club. Oh, sure. Mm -hmm. She touches will that will happen. Mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. So, um, I and she'll, and she'll, she'll star in it, even though it's, you know, supposed to be a 25 year old. Um. Uh, she, I don't know how, what's she in her forties now. I think this woman's supposed to be in her mid thirties, but okay. yeah, 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 that's right. We got to go Hollywood away. age versus. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And yes, yeah. I did just diss Reese Witherspoon. So did. yeah, well, she won't be on your show anytime soon. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> I think she is a mother runner. Uh, <laughs> Oops. All right. Moving right along. What's yeah. yeah. So I, one of the novels that I am currently reading is The Other Black Girl by Zakiah Del- Delilah Harris. And it is a debut novel. I know you love a good debut novel. Yeah, Carol just finished it. Oh, did she? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah so it is, um, it's about, um, focuses on this one woman, Nella, who has um, for several years been the only black woman working at a New York City book publishing house, you know, that's all white except for her. And then uh, another black assistant is hired assistant to an editor. And so there's um, a friendship that blossoms between them, but there's a tiny bit of tension between the two of them. And um, then uh, Nella gets a um, note on her desk that says, leave Wagner, which is the publishing house, leave Wagner now. And so Mm. she's trying to figure out who left it for her. And so there's that mystery and and you kind of sense that because of even just the title, you think, oh, I bet there's going to be some friction between Nella and this other woman, Hazel. And, but then also the story that I love is that um, it's what I'm considering the other, other black girl, which is that um, the Nella story takes place in 2018. And there's one that takes place about 15 years earlier of, a different um, black editor or assistant editor who worked at um, Wagner, um, this woman, uh, Kendra Ray, who um, uh, was the editor of this wildly popular novel by a black author. And in the, you know, so in this book, the other black girl, there's all this, Oh, isn't it wonderful. It was a, um, you know, it's the only novel ever written by a black woman and edited by a black woman. And so, I'm just, I haven't read as far as I'd like to. Um, I was traveling and then I had a a house guest. And um, so I'm just waiting to kind of see the confluence of the other, other black girl, this Kendra Ray and Nella and see how their two paths um, are going to kind of cross in a, um, I think some sort of parallel um, scenario with their jobs. So, yeah. 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 Hmm. So did Carol like it? She liked it until the very end. Oh, okay. He said she found the ending. uh, She thought it went in a direction that she said, I don't mind, you know, endings that go in a different direction, but this one puzzled her a bit. Oh, okay. All right. Be happy to hear what you're interested to hear what you say. Yeah. Yeah. I will. I will get there. Uh, (laughs) Yeah. All right. Um, I, I had one book that uh, was the debut I call it more literary fiction, which I really enjoyed called Swimming Back to Trout River. And mm-hmm. that's by Linda Rue Fang. And um, this one is a quiet book, but so well written and very atmospheric. Um, it essentially uh, sort of centers around this young girl named Junie, who's living in a small Chinese village with her grandparents. Both her um, parents have immigrated 
uh, to the United States, not together, but they're both there now. And she gets a message from her father, Momo, saying, when you turn 12, I'm going to come and get you and you're Mm -hmm. going to come back to the United States. And Junie does not want that to happen. Mm -hmm. So you would think that it would focus more on her, but essentially it goes back and focuses on her parents, uh, Momo and Cassia. And they're coming up through the the China, you know, China's cultural revolution Mm -hmm. and how that affected each one of them separately, but then together. And then it's also talking about a woman named Dawn, who uh, was a woman from Momo's past. And it, it all sounds sort of like convoluted, but the way that she brings all of these stories together and sort of focuses on all four of these characters, Junie, Dawn, Momo, and Cassia, uh, it's just really a pleasure to read and a pleasure to sort of see unfold Mm. um i think that she's definitely going to be a a writer to watch Mm -hmm. and i think this is for somebody that needs their brain exercised but they want it in more sort of of a um a cozy uh, cozy i don't want to say that because that uh, makes it sound like it's not literary but just makes it sound twee does it yes yes (laughs) we knew we had to bring up (laughs) twee but i just i really enjoyed this book and i think uh, that a, a lot of people will enjoy it. I think you'll enjoy it if you like, like, let's see, Anne Patchett, probably, mm-hmm. um, uh, even even someone like, I'm trying to think, Anne Patchett, Alice Monroe, possibly, mm-hmm. uh, Julie Oranger, who's another one of my favorite novelists who hasn't written a lot. But um, so that would be a book to sort of exercise your brain, uh, but in, in an enjoying fashion. Well, speaking of exercising your brain, I just have to ask, do you remember the names of all these characters or please tell me you like wrote notes knowing that you're no, going to no, talk no. about I have the book right in front of me. Okay. I wish I could just have just gritted my teeth and said, uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, wow, I can't even remember the name of like characters from a movie I watched last night. <laughs> well, yeah, that's happening more and more. No, if you could see me now, I'm on the bed with about, oh, I don't know, 25 books spread out around me. <laughs> Oh, yeah. I'm sorry I can't indulge you in that. (laughs) You need to take a photo. You need to take an overhead photo of that, please. I will. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. You read Claire and the Sun. I read I'm partway through that book as well. And that is um, by Kazuo Ishiguro who is the um, Nobel Prize winner in literature, who has written, um, you know, books. Uh, his most famous one is uh, The Remains of the Day. Wouldn't you say that's right. his most? Yeah, and, yeah. and okay. Let Me Go, which yeah. Let Me Go is also a um, futuristic kind of um, alternate reality, one might say, novel, right? Um, yes. oh, yeah. 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 And so, so Clara and the sun is as well. It is, um, I haven't gotten far enough to figure out why the world is as it is, but they have, yeah. um, uh, that some children, it seems like privileged children get, um, artificial friends, um, and they get, so they get, um, kind of robot pals for lack right. of, they never, never use the word robot, but you know, and that they're solar powered AI, I guess is what, we, are we supposed to say AI now? Yes, uh, we, we, yes, we are. Yes. Yeah. Um, okay. and so, 
Um, so yeah, but it, they are called artificial friend. It's funny because I'm like, well, that comes out as AF and I don't think we want to yeah. say AF. <laughs> I'm like that must be wrong. <laughs> no, that's right. Um, so she's an art Clara is an artificial friend and she has outstanding observational, um, qualities and she gets, um, brought home, I want to say adopted, that's probably not the right term, brought home, purchased um, by a young girl who is, um, has, seems to have a chronic illness or a probably a terminal illness and no father's in the picture and the mother works pretty hard. And so it's just Clara keeping this girl safe. And then this girl has a friend who is um, a neighbor and not as privileged as she is. So um, the friend doesn't have a AF. Uh, um, right. and, and so, but it's a very, very quiet novel, very slow, um, slow in a good way. Um, it's kind of like looking at a stream that's kind of August and the water level's kind of low. It's still very pretty and, and shimmers, but it's just not rushing. There's not going to be any fish that go by in this stream. You know, it's just, it's just a very quiet, pleasurable thing to um, luxuriate in. Yeah. Yeah. I would, I would agree with that. I, I -hmm. I read it and thought that, and I thought his, his writing is excellent. There were some parts uh, like we're talking about explanations of things. There were some of that, that I think were left to my own devices. And Mm -hmm. in this arena, my own devices are not really (laughs) yeah 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 oh so i didn't know you had read it as well so um yeah so um yeah i was really into it and then i was like oh the the episode's coming up i better dive into another book and then suddenly i blinked and it was today so yeah, yep. <laughs> like darn. Yeah, well, that happens to all of us. <laughs> yeah. so, so, all right. I know um, you read "Summer on the Bluffs" by yeah. Sunny Hostin. Mm-hmm. Yeah, who is a co-host on The View. Yes. Um, and I went into this with kind of low expectations because you know everybody was talking about it being a summer book, and yeah, you know, uh, I was thinking. Ellen Hildebrand and, you know, some of the, I guess, what is it, Mary Kay Andrews and Marianne Monroe, some of these women who are more what I call sort of light, fluffy Mm -hmm. um, summer books. But this one also surprised me. And uh, it's uh, about a very exclusive Black beach community uh, on the East Coast. It's called Oak Bluffs. Uh Um, Martha's Vineyard. Yep. Right. And um, it centers around a woman named Amelia Tanner and her husband, uh, Oscar. And um, essentially, it's about their lives, the life that they build together. And they do not have any children. So they, as as they become more um, financially stable and they do extremely well, they build this beautiful house on Oak Bluffs right mm-hmm. on the water. Mm-hmm. And they also end up sort of uh, taking in this sort of pseudo godparents, uh, one right after another, uh, three young black girls. And mm-hmm. these girls come during the summer and spend time with them and grow up together almost like sisters. And each one of the girls has... something in common, especially with uh, Amelia or Ama, as they call her, um, 
although they're very close to her husband. And as they grow older, they each in their own way become successful. But eventually the husband dies. And the book is mainly centered on the fact that Alma decides that it has come time for her to have some life changes. She's almost exactly my age in her mid Mm sixties. And she wants the girls to come for one final summer. Mm -hmm. Uh, And at the end of that time, she will end up giving uh, this beautiful house, Chateau Laveau, uh, to one of the girls. So each one of the girls uh, wants the house, uh, Mm -hmm. but they each feel that they have something that might be holding them back. They respect Ama and they, there's a little part of them, I think, that you know, sort of fears her. And yet um, they're not the only ones that have secrets because Ama will be essentially sort of revealing how mm-hmm. each girl was is actually, and you can't say related, but how they ended up specifically coming into her and her husband's life. Oh. And it's it's supposed to be the first in a trilogy, which is exciting. Um, and it, this is a it's a it's an enjoyable book, um, great characters, uh, good writing, but it's also um, one that I think you can just it, it it has some it has some meaningful plot points and things that. I think will resonate with a lot of people. And I think it's a great beach book, but it's also a beach book for a discerning reader, if that makes oh, sense. And nice. I like that. I hope I don't come off sounding elitist. I'm sure I do. But anyway, <laughs> I'm really looking forward to the, the other two in the trilogy. Oh, nice. I always love finding a series that's like, oh, yes, more, 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 yes. more. Yes. Yeah. Oh, all right. Okay. So, so we're, this is kind of, this is fiction adjacent, um, it's a category within young adult options, which I always admire Ellison that you read young adult novels. Um, and you felt that, um, two of them, uh, were for adult readers or teens if people are looking yes. for suggestions yeah, for the kids. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. The first one that, and I really enjoyed this one. It's a big fat book and I love mm. big fat books. <laughs> Uh, it's called A Sitting in St. James, and it's by Rita Williams Garcia. And uh, some people may be familiar with her because she's written uh, a number of Newbery Award winning books for younger kids. She has a, uh, a trilogy, speaking of trilogies, mm-hmm. um, that she's won awards for. This one, when I first started reading, I was like, this is young adult. And I went back and checked and they really do. It's more geared for like beginning at like 16 or 17. So, you know, um, but I loved the story. Um, It takes place in pre-Civil War, Louisiana, 1860. Mm -hmm. And it, uh, you're in the household of Madame Sylvie Gerbert, uh, who has a plantation uh, down in Southern Louisiana. And for six decades, she's lived there and, uh, among her one son and her husband, who has since passed away, uh, and numerous, numerous slaves that work on this plantation. And the plantation is in deep, deep financial trouble. But mm-hmm. in the midst of all this, uh, Madame Sylvie decides that she wants to have her portrait painted by uh, the descendant of a young man or the descendant of a woman who actually painted in Marie Antoinette's household. Oh, so uh, 
it, it talks about, it, it focuses on her, but it also focuses on Thisbe, who's uh, the enslaved young woman who always is with her mistress, constantly with Madame Sylvie, constantly. Mm-hmm. And uh, so she speaks very little, but observes all. Mm-hmm. And then also um, it talks about Byron, who is uh, Madame's son, who is expected to you know, have a family and become the new master of the plantation. His father is still alive, Madame Thisbe's, oh, excuse me, Byron is Madame Thisbe, I mean, Madame Selfie's grandson. Oh, Her okay. son is sort of a lost cause. He's okay, gotcha, still gotcha. there, but he's a drinker. He carouses a lot. Um, so that everything is focused on her grandson, Byron. But gotcha. unbeknownst or sort of suspected by them, Byron uh, is not does not want to get married and, and have a regular family because mm. his uh, love lies elsewhere uh, with mm-hmm. a, a, a fellow that goes to West Point with him. Mm-hmm. So this deals with a lot. It, it deals very bluntly and very pointedly with plantation life as as it reflects on slaves. And it's excellent because Thisbe is an incredible character. She speaks very little until towards the end of the book. But what she observes and the hypocrisy that she's aware of, even though she has never been schooled formally, um, And then Byron, who realizes that on one hand, what is expected of him and wants to, you know, fulfill his family obligations, but in a real sense cannot. Mm. Um, So it's just a very well-written, very uh, fast-paced book uh, with a lot of interesting questions and, and yet, you know, just riveting. I read it very quickly and really enjoyed it. Um, Great. Yeah. So I think anybody that likes YA that uh, goes a lot towards historical fiction, and there's Mm -hmm. a couple of books that, if I remember, I'll put them up on the website on on comments because um, there are two books that I'm thinking of, but I can't pull them out right now. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And the second one was Ace of Spades. And remember how you were talking about uh, the other black girl reminding you of uh, Get Out along with uh, The Devil Wears Prada? Well, one reviewer said it, and this nails this one. Ace of Spades really is Get Out uh, combined with Gossip Girls. <laughs> my gosh, everything's Get Out plus yeah. so Yeah, it is. That's what I was thinking. I was like, my gosh. But it's a, a debut by a very young writer named Farida Abike. Ayamigi, and I listened to her say her name, so I apologize to her if I didn't get that correctly, but it takes place in this very, very private academy called Nevis, and uh, at the beginning of the year, there are always four seniors who are picked to be prefects, sort of based on the British system, Mm -hmm. and one who gets to be the absolute senior prefect. And that, that honor goes to a, a young woman non, named Jamaica Adebayo. And then there's another, and she's a woman of color and uh, a girl of color. And then uh, Devin Richards is one of the other three who's chosen, which is sort of a huge surprise to him because he's uh, a scholarship uh, student has always sort of hung out in the background, has not made any waves, just kept his head down and worked, is not popular. Whereas 
Jamaica is extremely popular. She's like mm. the queen bee mm-hmm. of the school. Mm-hmm. So what starts happening as they're going through the years, suddenly uh, they start getting messages, they and actually the whole student body from um, a person or entity called ACES, A-C-E-S. Mm-hmm. And this person starts showing videos of things going on in their lives Mm. that they don't want Mm -hmm. to be shown. Uh, Devin is, uh, has, is gay, but has not come out to his, his mother who has worked very, very, very hard to raise him and his two younger brothers. Um, In Jamaica's case, it seems like it's really trying to not only knock her off her queen bee platform, but uh, threaten, uh, her getting into Yale University. Mm. So as it goes on, everything, the ante gets ramped up. Mm. And these two students have never had any use for each other, but they're drawn together because suddenly Mm. they start realizing, okay, wait a minute. At first we thought there were other people that were being targeted, but it's just the two of us. Mm. Mm -hmm. And Mm. they start looking around and they realize we're the only two people of color in the senior mm. class. Oh. So that's where, and I don't want to say any more because it'll give it away, but it's fast paced, mm. great writing. And this woman does an incredible job of uh, showing, showing something without showing it. In other words, you know, you're reading about it, you're entertained. And then all of a sudden you step back and say, aha, mm. this is a commentary on racism. This is a commentary on feminism. This mm-hmm. is, you know, it's, it's interesting and very entertaining. I expect it to do very well. Mm-hmm. I think it's intriguing, though, that that's the third novel that we've talked about that has kind of secret messages left for people. Yes, yeah. yes. Yeah, I guess that's the, the trope of 2021. <laughs> yeah, and maybe that is. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. Um, so let's for just a, a few brief moments, let's go to a, a topic I, I, we've touched upon before, but never really delved into, which is poetry. And yes. I, I know you have a few favorites, but I want to ask before you mention, make a few uh, recommendations, how do you approach reading poetry as a person who is not in, you know, a fine arts program or, a, you know, a college student trying to get a, you know, a prerequisite for. for yes. You know? Well, you know, I'm always like we've talked before. I'm always so embarrassed that I don't read enough poetry. Oh. Uh, and I always feel like that's sort of a, a, a you know, a flaw. Um, oh, wait, who's judging? In this age, in this day and age, who judges <laughs> anyone for not reading enough poetry? Oh, no, I don't think it's, I, I talked about me personally looking at Ellison, you know, oh. uh, you know, sitting here and observing Ellison and thinking, Ellison, you should read more poetry. <laughs> I know you're always telling me that back off (laughs) self self flagellation about poetry exactly exactly that's what nobody has ever like you know knocked on the door (laughs) excuse me I'm from the American Poetry Society and you have not met your quota (laughs) that's exactly right and I think sometimes what I do is I obviously uh, there's never been a time where I've just said, Oh, this looks good and picked it up. I always look at recommendations and, mm-hmm. you know, if I read something in the times, if something comes up on a website, mm-hmm. you know, that refers to it, you know, the other thing is the book that I talked about earlier, 400 souls uh, that 
had some a uh, couple of poets in there that I'm definitely going to to revisit. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've tried uh, often. I will read poetry out loud because I think oh. then that helps. Um, it just depends. Um, one that I really, really recommend to anybody that kind of wants to get into it is um, Head Off and Split. Mm. And it's like Head Off and Ampersand mm-hmm. and Split. Uh, and it's by a South Carolina uh, poet oh. who happens to be exactly my age. And her name is Nikki Finney. Mm-hmm. Uh, and she's award winning. Um, I believe Head Off and Split got the National Book Award one year for poetry. Um, and that one uh, I just thought was fabulous. Uh, and I loved reading some of those out loud. Mm. Um, there's another poet uh, called Adrian Matechka, and I'm going to spell that name because I know I butchered that, M-A-T-E-J-K-A, mm-hmm. and he wrote a book of poetry a number of years ago called The Big Smoke, and it's mm-hmm. about Joe Jackson, uh, the African-American boxer in the mm-hmm. early part of the 20th century fascinating poetry i mean just excellent Mm. and he's got a new book coming out i believe the title is somebody stole the world and i may be it may be maybe somebody sold the world but it's Mm -hmm. coming out july 6th i've got it on Uh pre-order and um i don't know i just think i think you just need to sort of look around and and pick some stuff up and then the one thing I will say about poetry is I think then you get a sense of what you do and do not like. Mm. Um, hmm. I think, I think more young people are reading and by young people, I mean, people in their, um, you know, second half of their teens and twenties are reading yes. more poetry. I know the publisher of our three books was putting out quite a bit of poetry and saying there was a really a resurgence in, in poetry and um, I know Phoebe, my older daughter, who's 19, reads a lot of poetry for enjoyment. Um, she's not an English major or anything like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I, I kind of, I, I dabble in it a tiny bit just, but I stick to the favorites that I know. You know, I was an English major. And so I love William Carlos Williams. I love Wallace Stevens, mm-hmm. Wordsworth. Some, I, oh, I love Wordsworth. Oh, mm. Yes. Yes. I love, I Mm. love Yates. Oh, I love Yates. Um, and then also being a Russian minor, I, um, took a Russian poetry class in the original. I no longer read Russian in the original, um, Mm. probably did a really bad job of it even back in the day. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I'm not real strong with other languages. Russian, you know, hats off to anybody that tackles Russian. (laughs) um and then um and but i did then was introduced to a lot of russian poets uh, particularly contemporary russian poets or contemporary when i was in college and oh i just still love andre vosnesensky uh yevgeny yevtushenko i just i adore russian poetry really speaks to my soul so um and there's a new crop i know that there are younger russian poets so mm, you might want to look into that yeah 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 Yeah, Uh, i think of it sort of the way that i also think about reading more literature nonfiction and fiction by uh authors of color is mm -hmm. my ignorance is you know sometimes sort of surprises me and Mm -hmm. i enjoy uh sort of trying to work through that so Mm -hmm. yeah Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, yeah. That that sometimes maybe um, you sometimes think, oh, I just want to pick up an easy breezy book and let it wash over me. And sometimes yes. having to do some work with a book yes. uh, proves enjoyable, surprisingly yeah. enjoyable, one might say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well said. Um, yeah, yeah. I sound a little bit like I just came off of PBS, but okay. Uh- <laughs> <laughs> do worse <laughs> so always a delight to talk books with you Allison and just talk with you in general so oh yeah this was a delight as it always is may it go on for a, another half century <laughs> <laughs> the women in my family live long I was just about to say oh my gosh after seeing my mother in Connecticut um you know my mother turns 95 next week Oh, and right. my father's birthday and my father's 92nd birthday, yeah. the same birthday. <laughs> no, that is just and so i mean she, you know okay so she had a small stroke and she doesn't really speak all that much now but like i mean physically oh she just there's oh my goodness yeah. and so <laughs> yeah. a neighbor, neighbor was telling me i forget what he was suggesting i do that would you know kind of some eating something they'll make me live longer i'm like dude I'm already yeah. going to live to 175. Like I need to take up smoking or something because I yeah. got to shorten this lifespan. Well, I told you that, you know, both my grandmothers, one lived to be 99, one lived <gasps> to be 97. And Carl always says, I wish I had known that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you can cancel her life insurance because I'm not going to get it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh, don't bother run facing traffic, Allison. Just run with traffic. It's okay. Right. <laughs> I have faith in you. Go, girl. <laughs> yeah, go at night. It's okay. Yeah. <laughs> oh, God. I hope he doesn't listen to this. Maybe I'll cut him off before the end. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. Um, well, I do want to tell people that maybe if they're looking um, for an escape later in the year, they could bring some books to, with them to Rancho La Puerta, Ooh. which is uh, Dimity and I are very honored to be presenters this year. We get to go there for a week at Rancho La Puerta. It's unreal. So that's November 6th through 13th. And Rancho La Puerta is, um, it is actually a spa and health and wellness place in uh, Northern Mexico, not too far from San Diego. But I refer to it as heaven on earth because it is the most beautiful setting with these sweeping vistas. There's hiking, running trails. The buildings are so beautiful. There's these brick and stone paths that just wind you through this kind of high desert um, landscape. There are 50 plus classes a day taught by primo instructors. I mean, the most fantastic instructors, talks, presentations, a divine lap pool, It's just, and the food, oh my goodness, the food it is. And spa services by the most loving, caring, um, you know, masseuses and, uh, you know, estheticians. And it's just amazing. I just cannot wait. Although I am cutting it a a short by a day to go to the wedding of Alex Ward of Sounds Like Pictures. <laughs> so, yeah. so, uh, so please consider joining us. I know there's some women out there who are contemplating it. Levon, I'm looking at you. Um, and you, it is really the trip of a lifetime. So please join us. You can um, find out more information and um, register for that um, at go to anothermotherrunner.com and click on our events. There's a drop down menu. They'll take you there. So again, that's anothermotherrunner.com. Click on events. Our podcast today was produced in Portland, Oregon by the lovely Alex Ward from Sounds Like Pictures. Many happy miles. Mm-hmm.